Welcome to the Clean County Time Podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrells. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today, our guests are Everybody, Part One. That's right. We're taking a two-part look back at Season 2 with all our guests we've talked to about the good, the bad, and the funny. We started off the year with Leslie Battle. She is a 26-year veteran of the United States Army. She is a survivor, a thriver, and a bona fide superhero. And do I remember right that you uh, eventually earned the rank of captain? That's correct. So when I retired, I was Captain Battle, which my son just loved the Ooh. heck out of. <laughs> Gold. It's like, Gold. that is the best <laughs> Army name. My mom's a superhero. I will introduce her to everybody that way. And I'm just kind of like, but yeah. that dude can kick my butt. Okay, I need you now. <laughs> Not to be that <laughs> zealous about it. <laughs> that, you know, that's that's quite an accomplishment, though. If your son is saying, my mom's a superhero, I'm going to introduce her to everyone. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, and I kind of think that maybe a little bit of that had to do with um, <laughs> when I was getting ready to go to Kuwait, right? And this was my first overseas deployment. I'd already been in <sighs> okay, so I was, yeah, I was looking at 18 years at that point. So I'm getting ready to to deploy to Kuwait. And so my son would have been about 12. This is my, my third child. And he and his friend, we had this huge blue spruce in the front yard. And I don't know if you're familiar with how these things grow, but basically the limbs come out like a ladder, like they're like three, you know, two, three feet apart. You can climb them like a ladder. I got one in my front yard just like that. It's about 70 feet tall. Right. And so my son and his friend wanted to climb a tree. He's like, Mom, come climb a tree with me. And at first I was just like, you know, that's not a thing that grown women do. And then I was like, you know, I'm about to be gone for a year. And if I can, Mm -hmm. you know, like give my son this moment of joy with his friend before I'm gone for a year, there's no excuse for me not to do it. And so I grabbed some freaking work gloves and I climbed a tree with my son and his friend. And I, yeah, I get massive cool points for that. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. He's 24 now. So (laughs) I try to remind him of the cool stuff that I used to do. Remember that time we climbed a tree? Yeah. (laughs) That was such a great episode because Leslie not only shared some of her funny stories, but she also opened up about some very painful experiences, including the loss of her oldest child. She shared this advice that she received while she was grieving. You know, he, he, he was 11. My next oldest, my now oldest son, uh, was nine at the time. So my, my kids were nine, five, and my daughter was just shy of two when oh, wow. my oldest son passed away. And um, <sighs> yeah, that changes you. It makes you really think about things like the, the story about the tree climbing. I mean... So many of the decisions that I made after going through that had way more to do with how can I help my family to be happy? How can I, you know, lessen the burden, so to speak? Um, And there's no roadmap. There's no manual. There's no I mean, we were actually blessed. We had uh, a neighbor couple that were older. And they had lost a child who um, would have been our age. Hmm. And they came to visit us, you know, as soon as they heard. I think it was it was before the funeral. But um, they, they sat us down and they told us about what they had been through. 
And one of the first things that they said is do not ever, never, ever, 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 ever feel bad about grieving. Wow. You need to feel those emotions and you loved him. And if you, if you, if you don't feel those things, it would be because you didn't love him. So don't give yourself guilt about needing a minute to adjust to this, except it's potentially going to be the rest of your life. He's always going to be your son. Leslie actually drove up from Southern Ohio to be in our Philadelphia holiday show. And that's where we got to meet Philadelphia local millennial and fan of curling, Ryan Rowe. Like my stories, I think they're not, they're not crazy. They're not insane, but it's all about how you tell them. It's all about your perspective. What's going on in your head when these things are happening, that that's what makes it really funny. That's what makes it relatable. I, uh, I do do a lot of traveling, though. Uh, I just got back from Minnesota. Uh, one thing I learned about Minnesota, they really like the sport of curling. Are you guys aware of curling? Basically, you take a large rock and you slide it down a long sheet of ice. And if you land it right on the bullseye, you're still not an athlete. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this. At the last Winter Olympics, a Russian curler got caught using steroids. <laughs> and we as a curling community all ask, why? <laughs> like, there's no strength involved in that whatsoever. Like, using steroids in curling is just as effective as using Diet Dr. Pepper in curling. <laughs> <laughs> True story, my, right? My favorite part <laughs> yeah. of that clip, though, is the uh, the applause that curling got. Like yeah. some of those folks are are big time into curling, from the sounds of it. <laughs> I know well, every show that I've done, <laughs> I've said, "You guys know what curling is," and they all just lose their minds. Yeah. And I and it's only because they they vaguely know of it. Yeah, <laughs> these people they don't care about curling. They aren't you know fans. There was a a couple of people in the audience that night who have gotten into, like a couple of years before this show, got into curling, were taking lessons, you know, beyond the process that you just laid out there. Yeah. <laughs> Take a rock and slide it on the ice. <laughs> so so their actual, or there actually was curling fans in the audience, huh? Uh, curl, competitive curling league members in the audience that <laughs> night. So wow. you had a, a smattering wow. of applause from them until you told them they weren't athletes. And <laughs> I heard that went from that side of the room. The other side of the room thought it was hilarious. So you were, I regret you absolutely nothing audience that way. <laughs> well, it, it's, it sounds like yeah. you made it out of there unscathed. So they must not have been too yeah. offended. Yeah. I, I think any other athlete, I would be afraid you know, of them physically, but <laughs> curlers, I think I'm pretty sure I could handle them. When we ask our guests about the good and the bad, most have had something to say about the pandemic, but even so, 
we never know what we're going to hear. Uh, in this part of the podcast, I always like to ask folks, uh, what's going well? Is it okay if I start off with what's not going well? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's got their favorite part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly. What's, uh, uh, what's a struggle, Ryan? Like back in March, I was, I, I was working three different jobs. I was working as a, a producer at a comedy club in Philly and that was going really well. And I was working for my church as a mentor to college students and I was working for the flyers as well. And it was like, so all three of those jobs I got furloughed um, because of the pandemic. And so that's all to just stop you right there for just a second. Because yeah, sure. there's a lot, there's a lot in what you just said there. I mean, you just described three dream jobs. You just described working with people breathing into their lives through your church. You described working for the Philadelphia Flyers, you know, um, and, and then producing comedy shows. I mean, that's, those are three jobs that I'm sure you were just ecstatic to have those opportunities. And then you end up furloughed. Yeah. You know, because each one of them was dealing with live events, you know, with um, church and, and meeting up with students or with the comedy club, obviously having live shows and with the flyers once the, the NHL got postponed. So uh, all three of those, you know, I, I couldn't work there anymore. And you're right. It was really disappointing because I really liked all three of those jobs. And another thing I was working on was I was planning and organizing a nationwide comedy tour for the summer of 2020. I was going to do uh, 26 cities over the summer. And it was going to be this big tour uh, sponsored by the uh, Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And we'd be raising money for each of the clubs in each of these cities. And so, uh, you know, it was all really, uh, it felt like things are really rolling, you know, for me. And then all of a sudden that's all gone. You know, all of a sudden I was working three jobs and uh, my schedule was completely filled and now I have nothing to do. And now I had this exciting tour that I was really gung ho about. And the, you know, now that's all canceled. And it was like, uh, I feel like this whole uh, year since then has been a very humbling time where I really just had to appreciate the little things like uh, just being healthy, having my family around. I, I moved away from Philly back in with my family and, you know, I, I get that I'm, I'm still very young and I'm very appreciative that uh, I'm, I'm still flexible. You know, I, I don't have a lot of responsibilities. I don't have a family that I, I need to take care of. You know, there's, I have a lot of flexibility with my schedule and with things I'm pursuing, but I just think, yeah, definitely this, this year has been a humbling time where I've really had to just be patient and trust God and not, not count myself out on things. So I guess that's what's going good right now is just um, appreciating what I have 
I'm working part-time jobs now and just sort of seeing where my career can, can go from here. And in episode three, we were joined by Jane Lynch. I mean, Jeff Shaw. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm Jane Lynch, and welcome to Hollywood Game Night. (laughs) You laugh, but somebody actually said to me, has anybody ever told you that you look like the actress Jane Lynch? I said, no, you're the first. Everybody else has been polite enough to just think it. At least once a week, somebody will say, hey, Jeff, that's not your real voice, is it? I say, oh, no, of course not. My real voice makes me sound like a woman, so I use this manly one instead. (laughs) If I were using my real voice, you'd be thinking, hey, look, Ellen really let herself go. I hope she still has stuff to give away. (laughs) The cool thing about my voice is if I ever go into politics, this voice will protect me from political scandals. (laughs) I did not have romantic relations with that woman. (laughs) Oh, don't worry, dude. We believe you. That episode with Jeff was great. Uh, Just before recording with us, he released a number one ranked comedy album. And uh, of course, he's got several decades of comedy experiences performing on cruise ships. And he's now got a dry buyer comedy special. And he's even got a second one coming. He shared with us what he's learned about thriving through the pandemic. uh, There's all kinds of people that have thrived, you know, during um, this pandemic through different approaches. Look at all the big comedy clubs like Flappers that have a whole big, you know, um, virtual show infrastructure. Like uni- they have an online university for taking classes online. They've done a couple comedy festivals online. They have headline shows. They have open mics every night. You know, uh, the club's still not making a lot of money, but it, they're still open. They're still giving comedy. They're doing work. it. Yeah, they're still yeah. doing it. You know, yeah. and so um, the key there is is uh, when you stay alive, you're flexing a certain type of, uh, you're a certain set of muscles that when things are going great, uh, you're going to be even more successful. Dwayne Brake was on our Clean Comedy Time show in Philadelphia, and even though I'd never met him before, seeing his videos made him an easy choice. But even more so, his relationship with his wife. Right, because when you were younger, when I was younger, in my 20s and 30s, I wanted somebody who looked a certain way, acted a certain way, dressed a certain way. When you get a certain age, all you want is somebody who's going to get sleepy around the same time you do. That's all you want. She'll go, you try to do a little something? I'm like, yeah, you try to do a little something. She'll go, you think I'm thinking? I'm going, I'm going to get you there. 
Uh, yeah, that is uh, one of the things that uh, my wife and I really appreciated about your set. It was the uh, naps as a love language uh, that was very identifiable. <laughs> I, um, yeah, uh, so that clip, that clip reminds me of that joke. I don't know if I've done that joke since uh, that day, but naps are huge in, in, in our relationship right now. They are huge. It's, uh, it's funny. We were watching a movie shortly ago. My wife and I were watching a movie. And in the movie, there was this couple who came home from an event and it was right around midnight that they came home, maybe after midnight. And they got into a heated discussion, an argument that lasted all night until the sun came up. And I looked at my wife. I said, you know what's amazing about this movie? Neither one of them went to sleep. You know, I I, I told her that. I said, how could they how could they have stayed up all night? You know, uh, you know, during this, you know, this uh, fictional um, fictitious argument, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, naps are huge where we live. <laughs> I, I love the expression, you know, no, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't go to bed angry. Don't, but, but we're tired. <laughs> <laughs> Just go and, to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, I love you. We're going to figure this out. Let's go to sleep. We'll pick it up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. How did you and uh, your wife meet? Wow, that's a that's a I haven't had to tell this story uh, in a while. So I've been married uh, 25 years. Along with his wife, Dwayne is terrifically proud of his two teenage daughters. On a arbitrary Friday night, when you know teenagers are you know socially driven, what am I going to do now? You know, who am I going to call? Who am I going to hook up with? She will lock herself in a in, in a room and for three hours take an SAT course. So she has to she has to she's a series of SAT courses you know, practice courses that she has to, that she is signed up to take. And I think she's on number three and they'll last throughout the school year. And her goal is to get better each time, you know, so her final SAT score, when she takes it, her senior year will, will allow her to, you know, be able to look more attractive to other colleges. So that's just how she's driven. Now with, with two of them, you know, the, the personalities <laughs> don't, don't match. So my 13 year old, is precocious, um, wrapped up in curiosity and defiance and and all that good stuff. So she's she's our cha- our challenged uh, our challenge child, but she's the sweetest thing. Like she just out of the blue, she'll just come up to me and my wife and hug us and I love you and you know what are you doing and you know how can I hang out? In fact, before, tonight before. Uh, we started this conversation. Her and I were watching Thor Ragnarok, the 13-year-old. We were watching Thor Ragnarok for, I don't know, the 12th time or whatever it is. And, you know, like really talking to each other about, you know, the nuances of that movie. But um, so, yeah, so she's a she's a little more defiant. So she'll, you know, she'll challenge us um, respectfully so because, you know, we've kind of laid down that law that, you know, we will give you room to for your personalities to come out, but you just can't be disrespectful about it. But, you know, she she challenges things. She asks questions as to, you know, why, which we're happy to provide the answers why. But she she wants to know, you know, why are you requesting this of me? And is why is this expectation so high? And, you know, no, I don't want to do that now. I don't feel like doing it now. It's so interesting to hear hear you talk about your two daughters because, uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, they're they're two very different uh, kids, and I and I can just hear it in the 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 slight shift in tone of your voice. You know, you you love them both very much, and uh, and the younger one 
while she uh, might buck heads with you a little bit more, uh, it's it's clear that you you look at that almost as a um, you know as a, a you know as an opportunity or expression of intelligence or expression of who she is. You know, you, it's, it seems to me like you look at that as a very good thing. I do. I, you know, I, I'm appreciative of the the different personality types, you know, that we have. And it's, it's interesting. You said I look at it like an opportunity, you know, which I do, you know, for both the girls. And I think I mentioned before that, you know, we're a faith based family. So, you know, our direction comes from our faith. And so there's very, very, you know, clear cut um, behaviors that, that God wants us to emulate with each other and with our children. And, you know, we, I, we try to follow that as 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 best we can. But every so every situation, Aaron, is is an opportunity to teach, to communicate, to communicate, you know, the, the will of God through the Bible and, you know, just to just to live your, your, your life that way. And, you know, so, you know, so they may not, especially the younger one may not you know, understand exactly the the language of the Bible or the intent of the the biblical message, but it's an opportunity for me to explain that and how it relates to her and us and our family um, as as a bigger picture. Well, the time has come on our little podcast to take a break, but we'll be right back. Be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites. We'll be right back. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. Yes, thank you. We so appreciate you letting us and our incredible guests share the good, the bad, and the funny. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please leave us a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Or you can now send us a voice message through Anchor, and we might just play it on an upcoming episode. To send us a voice message, go to anchor.fm slash cleancomedytime. Click the message button and record what you want to say. Thanks again, and we look forward to hearing from you. Brian, you were our guest on episode five. I was, yeah. (laughs) And I just love this clip from that episode because it really echoes the stylings of Steve Martin. I can almost picture him performing this bit on stage. I used to uh, run a website. Uh, I worked for a company called Gospel Communications, and I was walking through customer service one day, and I said, Brian, Brian, give me a hand. I said, yeah, what's going on? Do we have an audio version of the Red Letter Bible? <laughs> I, I said, no, 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 we don't. Okay, but wait. We do have an audio version of the large print Bible. Oh, okay. Wait. I'll give you a sample. <laughs> That's one of my favorite bits that uh, you do, Brian. All right, so we know that Steve has influenced your comedy quite a bit, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Steve Martin's Wild and Crazy Guy and Let's Get Small were the first albums I ever bought as a kid, let alone comedy albums. 
And, uh, and then when I turned 50 a few years ago, my uh, wife bought me Steve Martin's master class. It was an online class that I took uh, that kind of got me into choosing to do comedy. And um, that was a, a kickoff point for me. Cool, cool. And uh, in addition to Steve uh, influencing you, I also know that uh, Robert G. Lee has played a big role in your comedic journey. An another thing that went well uh, in the last year is I read a book. Well, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> what, what book did you read? Well, I'll tell you. I, I read a book written by a comedian um, friend of ours. Uh, Robert G. Lee wrote a book, uh, A Comedian Explains the Universe, God, and Everything. And uh, it's called What's the Big Idea? A Comedian Explains God, the Universe, and Everything. And um, I had taken a class with him. I uh, He had released the book a couple of weeks after the class ended. I got a copy of the book, and I said, darn it, I'm going to read this book. Um, and my wife and I joke about this a lot because she can read, like on her um, Kindle or one of the different apps and so on, she'll burn through a book a day, two books a day, 10 books a week, whatever the number is, it's way up there. She just cranks through these things. She's a voracious reader. And I am a very slow reader, partially because as an extrovert, I process everything out loud. So the speed at which I can read aloud is the speed at which I can read internally. So it, it, I see people zipping through books and I'm like, what are you doing? How are you? You know, cause I'm in my head sounding out every word. So what role has Robert G. Lee played in your comedy journey? Well, along with Steve Martin's masterclass, I took a masterclass with Robert and now I'm in a writing group that he leads. He might be my unofficial mentor, but don't <laughs> tell him that. I don't <laughs> want him to kick me out. Fair enough. That would be awkward. I think the best way to describe our next guest is delightfully awkward. And he's so visual, it can be difficult to fully grasp how funny is the amazing Derek Lee Feltner. I've always thought the idea of giving a comedian um, time on stage is, is really an amazing thing. And um, I love the fact that I can do what I want in that space and that time. And that that's where I've kind of come up with some of these ideas um, that I do. As, you know, visually like leaving the stage, which, you know, for most comedians, that would be a death sentence. You would you would never do that. Yeah. Why would why you don't want to sacrifice you? a second of your time? Yeah. And to me, I actually like those, the, those very long, um, you know, kind of drawn out. <laughs> we'll, we'll add it out. Some of these awkward no, silences. No, wait, no, that's the delicious part. <laughs> yeah. I, I found myself very purposefully <laughs> not interrupting the silence. <sighs> um, like I, I've always, you know, like stuff like that. And um, a, a lot of the ideas I've, I've had have come from uh, years earlier in my life. I played in bands and the, the complete hysterical comedy that goes into being a band that is never really talked about, you right? know, um, <laughs> like just the the concept of some of the things that in a band you do on stage and they're seen as like these great, amazing things. But if you transpose those to comedy, they can actually be very hilarious and uncomfortably awkward, <laughs> which is 
where I drew a lot of my inspiration for some of the, the visual things that I do. Um, you know, a, a, a lead singer in a band can scream, how's everybody doing tonight? And get an you know, eruption of response. But a comedian can do that and it can just be, you know, a pin drop because <laughs> <laughs> they're just, you know, the audience just does not want to have it. And I just, yeah, I think that is so fun and, and a weird kind of way to look at things, you know, like if I had a guitar plugged into an amp, you know, playing ACDC, if you will, people <laughs> be like, yeah, that guy's, that guy's ripping. That's awesome. But if it's just me on stage doing that, it's like, wait, what, what, what is this guy doing? <laughs> what, what is he doing? I like this. I think Maybe it's all keeping, it's all. that is, that is exactly how I feel about it. I like this. I think yeah. Derek takes his audience on a journey of tension and relief that, well, he really thinks about what he does. Like the time he went on stage and the audience thought his wife had left him or something. I just got off the phone. And, um, it, it's, I'm not the one, I'm not the person, I'm not, I'm not the person anymore. You know, I'm not the, I'm not the one. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out guys. You know, it, it, it's, it's horrible. Like I've, I thought I was, I'm not, they said, they said, I'm not on the phone. They just leveled with me. They're like, you're no longer the one. And, you know, it, it, it's terrible guys. Cause I want, I wanted to be the one I, that's what I tried to be. But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the 12th caller. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if you know what that feels like to not be the 12th caller. Because when you try so hard (laughs) only to come up short and not be the 12th caller for that box set that you have wanted (laughs) for (laughs) so long. So that, that went on for like five minutes. Sure. And then the, the best part is. The whole time I'm doing it, I'm looking over at Joe. He thinks it's real. <laughs> <laughs> the look he gave me was like, I'm watching a person have a mental breakdown sure. at my show. And then he's probably thinking like, oh my God, like, how do I, how do I get the audience back after, the, after <laughs> Derek? Like Derek's life is going to just complete garbage on, in front of everyone. Yeah. And then when I said, you know, I wasn't the 12th caller and everyone took a big sigh of, like, like, oh, 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 good. It's not real. Oh, it's not real. Yeah. Um, but I've also done, you know, the other times where someone didn't say my full name, I just went full, I guess you could say full uh, Tony Clifton, you know, like just, yeah. you know, Andy Kaufman's alter ego just went full, like, nope, you're not getting the normal. Right. Terribly yeah. Felt, no. yeah. Because you didn't say my name right. Well, and it's, you know, you talk about that, uh, you know, that dynamic of the audience believing it. You know, I the, the times that I've seen it, that it's been very effective. The audience all the way through it is going, is this a bit? Is this kid about to lose it? Is, you know, is he so nervous that he can't handle it? You know, like they, all those questions are running through their mind. Who put this guy on the stage? <laughs> right, right, right. Why would they do that to him? You know, and that, <laughs> he's clearly not cut out for this. Yeah, you know, Tig Notaro in one of her specials, she does. I mean, it it feels like fifteen minutes at the end where she's going back and forth on on whether or not uh, uh, anybody know the band. Um, 
the the band the, the, the band that uh uh shoot uh i forgot the name of the band but but oh. she goes this this makes for really good radio or podcasting <laughs> <laughs> and i wanted to say the dixie chicks but it's definitely not the dixie chicks but the, some band that she really loves there she's she goes back and forth with the audience for about 15 minutes saying that they're about to come out as a surprise performance and then yanking the rug out from underneath them and saying oh, how could they be back there they're not back there and and just goes back and <laughs> forth and back and forth and it's it's very much in the spirit of what you do you know just leaving the audience wondering what is happening is this really gonna come through but i think audiences can appreciate i know i would if i was watching something that really took me on an up and down journey, not necessarily just a straightforward, like airplanes, right? Wow. Uh, who, who likes, who likes uh, experimenting with cannabis, right? <laughs> you guys ever watch adult movies? That's a, a topic that we can all agree on, right? That is all of the comedy I've heard at open mic so far. You're, you're killing it. You're <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And killing it. Nardos Osterhart joined us for episode number seven. She comes to the Grand Rapids area from the faraway lands of Ethiopia, Nigeria, Germany, and Oklahoma. She has produced a one-woman show called Hafrican and a comedy album called Nice Try. I ran my first race back in March. It was the first race I'd run in 20 years. Yeah, I know. I was really excited. Um... It's held on St. Patrick's Day, so they call it the Irish Jig. Now, the night before the race, I decide I'm going to look this course up online so that I can get my bearings. It's the first time that I realize this race is in my neighborhood. <laughs> and I don't recommend that you run races in your neighborhood. Because <laughs> once you see your house, race is over. <laughs> It was a 10K. I ran a half K. <laughs> you can't fault me for coming upon this picture-perfect view of my family living its best life through the front window and going, this is the new finish line. <laughs> you know, I went ahead and wore that race shirt like a champion that day. <laughs> the cashier at the hardware store was like, how'd you do? I said, Terrific. Technically, I had the best time. <laughs> Those results are unofficial, right? <laughs> it sounds like you did have the best time, <laughs> metaphorically as well as technically. Oh, my gosh. You know, um, sometimes people ask where, where the material comes from, and it's really based based on real life. And I had signed up for this, this charity it was a fundraiser and it's affiliated with my hospital. And, um, yeah, I didn't want to do it, but my colleagues were doing it. And I just felt like, how can I have team members <laughs> participate? Yeah, exactly. So I said, <laughs> Oh, to heck with it. I'll do it. But you know, these are the things that you plan. You don't think too much about. And then you realize, Holy cow, one, I'm out of shape. And Two, it was really, really cold that day. <laughs> and you didn't have Stu McAllister encouraging you. Yes. In your pre-race warm-ups and things to say, yeah, keep doing that. 
Nardos is an impressive person to me, and one of the most impressive things about her is gratitude. Uh, she shared how she's able to achieve that gratefulness. What do you attribute that gratefulness to? I have a strong faith in God. I've always, you know, you know, had had the spiritual, you know, side to my life, um, and I think I had a pretty rough when I was a kid, you know, as an immigrant, um, as you know a child in a family that was moving around a lot. Um, you know, it just, I think there were moments where I really just felt like, I don't think anybody cares what's going to happen to me mm, and wow. working through, you know, just the pain of, you know, of growing up, you know, in poverty and, and dealing with parents, you know, and I'm not blaming anyone, but, you know, parents that are preoccupied with other things and, um, and just not having much, I think, I think there were moments in my life where I would just kind of close my eyes and say a little prayer that, you know, if, if I could find some success in my adulthood, some, some security, you know, some stability, then I would, I would just be so, it, all of this would be worth it. You know, that kind of magical thinking you have as a kid where you've just got to believe that someone loves you and that someone is God. Um, when things turn out okay, you become, I don't know, I think a person that, that holds on to the little things that go right, that those little things that go well. And, you know, incrementally I saw change and I saw improvement and I saw people caring about me that weren't related to me, you know, and I saw teachers investing in me and saying kind things and encouraging me along the way. So I think, I think you just find ways to kind of look on the, on the bright side, I think. Our first show back in person brought us two very special guests, one from each coast, Robert G. Lee, who we talked about just a minute ago. He lives in California and Rhonda Corey, is in Rhode Island, and we all met up in West Michigan for a clean comedy time show. Well, I do have some disclaimers before I start. I do want to um, apologize for my white privilege, my carbon footprint, and income inequality, and just being a man in general. Uh, sorry. Uh, I have never groped anyone, but other men have, so shame on me. Apparently, my demographic is responsible for everything. So let me just apologize for everything. Everything. Thank you. Robert, thank you so much for getting that out of the way and apologizing for everything. Well, I, I just, it just it clears the air and lets everybody know that they don't have to worry about anything because I've taken the blame. <laughs> Very kind of you. Thank yes. you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure. It was not a bad drive at all. Um, it took, uh, let's see... Five days, but I'm here. That's good. <laughs> uh, and then our second guest is the lovely and talented uh, Rhonda Corey. So here we are, right? We're in the car, and we're spending some quality time together, you know? And he looks over at me, and he says, Rhonda, do you know what's longer than the line at Walmart on Black Friday? And I said, could that be your love for me? And he said, no. <laughs> that would be the hair on your chin. And 
That is Rhonda's romantic husband. Oh, yeah. He is a keeper. Boy. He is. Rhonda, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad I'm here. Yeah, awesome. Well, um, let me uh, just bring us into, as we talk about the good, the bad, and the funny, this part of the show is the funny. <laughs> so we actually are trying to work through it backwards. So, uh, Robert, uh, I just kind of want to make sure everybody knows, I mm-hmm. actually am a student of Robert Cheeley. I've taken one of his comedy classes uh, a few months ago. Uh, f- it was the first one that you did virtually online. That's right. How did and, it go? Was it okay? Well, I thought you did a very good job. Your end report was good. I think you got a B. I think we counted <laughs> you off on bad handwriting, but sure. uh, overall, <laughs> your content was good, but your summation just uh, fell short a little bit. But So I'm still waiting for that extra paper to come in. Yeah. Uh, for your final grade. He, oh. Brian got an I. That's what he got. So it's still incomplete. A, a lot of my comedy is about I as well. So I'm trying to use a lot of I words and so on. Robert and Rhonda were each so happy to talk about their feelings in the second half. And one of the things that we do in this podcast is we like to get a little bit deeper than just the funny. We like to talk about some of the good and, and even some of the struggles and some of the bad things. So I'd like to ask Okay, you, I'm out. See you guys later. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. We should have told you that before you came in from yeah. I feel a little, just a little uh, intervention thing going on here. I'm not really feel, uh, I feel good about this. We've actually about never Robert. done this before. Uh, since you're here, we're going to ask you to... Oh, did my wife call? Yeah, oh. she's, she's actually backstage. Yeah. And, and Robert, isn't your wife a, a professional at talking about feelings? She is. She's a marriage and family therapist, so I do this all the time. Very I cool. you have a prepared answer then. You're all set. Very cool. Well, Rhonda, what would you say is something that's going well for you right now? Um... Well, I'm back on the road, so that's great. I'm so Yay. excited. I've just um, this is my first bout of uh, of gigs, so um, I go home uh, next week. And, I mean, well, Monday, and then I um, I have something locally that I can drive to, and then after that, I'm going to Arizona. And then Indiana, and then I'm off to Utah. Very nice. June Colson joined us from Kentucky to perform live on a Clean Comedy Time show and record episode number nine of the podcast. She was the winner of the 2020 Clean Comedy Challenge in Nashville. You are the 2020 Clean Comedy Challenge champion that was in Nashville last summer. Yeah. Was that fun? It was an extremely wild experience, I'll tell you that, because it was pretty much at the heart of of the pandemic where everyone was shutting down and a mask were on and um and it was really down kind of the last second of are, are we are they going to do this are they you know are, are we going to be able to put the show on and the venue was they they were amazing um leslie norris townsend joby sad they they just put together the best thing that they could possibly put together in that environment so i was definitely blessed by it for sure i mean i came out with a a trophy i won comics comic a little cash money in my pocket so yeah yeah it was a a good time i am going there uh this july so i'll i'll be there uh with uh leslie norris townsend and a number of other funny people who will be there i'm looking forward to that at gutty's and you're on your way to gutty's uh as soon as we uh, wrap this uh, recording I sure am. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce over there. I'm gonna pick up the uh, amazing Rhonda Corey of mm-hmm. Rhonda Corey Comedy. Well, she Talk was is cheap. on our last episode. That's right. Yeah, That's right. yeah. So uh, I'm gonna gonna pick her up and do a, a quick guest set. Um, she's featuring uh, Haas Ridgeway is gonna be the the headliner tomorrow night, and both of them are, are really close friends of mine. Haas and I actually went to middle school together. And we're bullied by the same bullies. And he moved away and, and got into comedy, you know, years later. And so when God called me into comedy, I ended up back with my friend Haas doing shows together and 
pretty wild, a, a real full circle. That's a that's going. a neat bond when you've both been bullied by the same Oh, yeah, people. exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it really says something about Bowling Green, Kentucky, and, and just, you know, anything south of the Mason-Dixon line in general, that you, you know a person named Hoss. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like our class mascot should have been like the Bowling Green Bullies. That's what we were. But, but no, so yeah, that's how we head the Gettys. You're going to love it there. Uh, uh, Dennis Dooley and Steve Rivera. Is, oh, they're great. Uh, awesome people, yeah. It's going to be, and, and Leslie and the Mish put on an, an amazing event, and it's also kind of a, a learning experience as well because they do these workshops, and you have these veterans and writers and, um, you know, people that just kind of invest in the comics that are there. So regardless of where you place at the end, uh, you learn something, you form bonds with the other comedians. I, I just I recommend it to everybody. I had such a awesome. great time, yeah. That was a well-deserved win for sure. Here's a clip of June's comedy. Boys were different from the start. They were actually born four years apart from each other, and they were both 10-pound babies. I know. I honestly thought that's what they meant by a man trapped in a woman's body, you know? (laughs) Alan True is a football analyst, comedian, husband, and father, and he shared with us about the first date he had with his wife. Had our first date in town here at a local eatery called Meyer. <laughs> Before you judge me, this is what happened. We went to Meyer, picked out some groceries, went back to her place, she cooked me dinner, and that's how pimpin's done. <laughs> uh, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show. Alan, we are excited to chat with you today. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think that is the first time we've said the word or had anyone say the word pimpin on the Clean Town <laughs> Time podcast. But I love that that bit, so I just had to uh, do that. Yeah, I was surprised you chose that clip, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be cleaner than that. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, for people who don't know what Meyer is, if they're outside of West Michigan or I guess it's it's in a lot of places in the Midwest, it's a big old grocery store plus. So. For those of you who live in other places, you know, kind of like the Super Walmart. This episode sponsored by Meyer Thrifty Acres. <laughs> they don't need our money. No. <laughs> do they still do Thrifty Acres? I think that's a thing of the past there, uh, Aaron. I just dated myself. If you go into Meyer, you'll see the, like the, the wall of history there, right, right by the uh, Sandy, the uh, Penny uh, Horse. And uh, and they might uh, have a little like Thrifty Acres uh, tableau there or something. But Alan, I don't know if we explain this, but this show is primarily about grocery stores. It really is. This is what we're oh, talking about. Right up my alley. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because that's not the only time you've been to the grocery store. But while we were there, she tried to impress me. She said, "Alan, I'm going to save us so much time when we get up to the self check because I've already memorized all the lookup codes for the fruits and vegetables." So you don't have to scroll through that computer a bunch. Go ahead, test me. Banana, 4011. I said, you're correct. But I'm going to save us even more time and money because I only know one PLU code. That's the one for russet potato. Because those only cost 39 cents. Then I'm going to ring up everything in our cart as a russet potato. It's a great trick. You guys need cheap uh, new refill ink cartridges for your printers? Boop, boop, boop. Russet potato, 39 cents. <laughs> Sometimes I feel bad that I'm shoplifting. I switch to organic, 55 cents. I'm so glad you have a conscience about it anyway. <laughs> I was raised right. 
Alan takes pride in his family relationships, his career in sports and comedy, but as a balance. You know, right now, not to be all high and mighty, I don't have, there's not a ton that I'm struggling with. I think in general, a constant struggle for me in comedy is the fact that I don't do it full time. I don't put all of myself into it. I don't put myself out there. So that allows me to have the balance that we talked about. Allows me to not have to worry about putting food on the table for my kids and my family through, you know, traveling. I don't have to accept a gig in South Dakota next week to make sure that they have clothes on their back. At the same time, I'm probably always going to wonder what would have happened if I had gone full go into comedy. And I don't get to, I don't get to experience the scene the same way. I don't get to hang out after shows as much. I don't get to go to a bunch of open mics. And, you know, I don't, I think sometimes that maybe creates the wrong impression. I think maybe younger comedians or comedians in the scene think I'm unapproachable or don't want to hang out or any of those things, which isn't true. I also think that me grilling them at the roast battles probably contributes to that. <laughs> so. I think I, I'm like kind of like half in the scene, half not. And I always feel like a little bit on the outskirts of the comedy scene. Um, but I've chosen that path where I could have quit my job. I could have done that, but that's, that's always the ongoing struggle for me within the, uh, with respects to comedy. As you might've figured out the clean comedy time podcast season two was jam packed full of funny and interesting guests. They brought us laughter and got deeper into their personal celebrations, their struggles, and how they want to get better. We're taking a short break for the holidays, but we'll be back in January with the second half of this Season 2 in review. And a whole new Season 3 is coming right up. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time Podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from coarse language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you. 